I've been looking forward to this series for a really long time. Romans 1 is where we're headed in our Bibles this morning. And I'm enjoying this month of different decades of music. It's interesting to me, uh, a lot of the songs from the 1960s, many churches did not start singing those songs until the 1980s because they were too modern in the 60s and 70s and they were too current, right? It's like, we can't sing those songs, they're contemporary. And so they didn't sing it. In the 1980s, when I was growing up as a teenager, Pass It On was still contemporary. It was written in the 1960s. Uh, and the songs that we'll do over these next couple of weeks, uh, like the ones from the 90s, a lot of churches still will not sing those songs because they're contemporary. And so isn't it funny how music is? Uh, in the 50s, they said, we can't sing this song because uh, this is too new. We got to sing the ones from the 1800s. And then they caught on and How Great Thou Art actually became a song that they sang. So uh, it, it's interesting how music worked. But I'm enjoying uh, this month, and I hope you come back. Next week is the 70s, and we're starting with an Andre Crouch song. All right? And you guys know who Andre Crouch is? All right? YouTube it this week. And we'll be into that next week. So Romans 1 is where we're headed. Much of Romans 1 reads like a current event which you'll see as we go deep into the passage. And Romans 1 is the chapter we'll be in for the next four important weeks in this series called Path to Pagan. And uh, I would encourage you to go out today at Connection Point. Uh, there are some deacon nomination forms out at Connection Point. And if you would uh, take one of those, if you're a church member, and you can nominate two people, two guys to be on the deacon board, we're going to add a deacon prayerfully this year. And in our business meeting on July 29th, we have our deacon and officer election, as well as our financial report. And then we have ice cream. And so we're trying to get you to come. We're sweetening it up a little bit for you. But it'll be the evening of the 29th on Sunday night. And looking forward to that. It's also my wife and I's 24th wedding anniversary that day. And she's put up with me for almost 24 years. And so we're going to get a little extra scoop of ice cream that night. So, uh, Romans chapter 1. I don't know if you uh, have ever heard about this or looked it up, but I get a kick out of uh, names that have been given to various groups of animals. And if you ever go, like, on an a animal tour, or if you ever see some things on Discovery Channel, they say these names. You're like, Where did, who came up with this name? Uh, like a pod of pelicans. Right? Or, or how about this one? A prickle of porcupines. That's what a group of porcupines is called. A prickle of porcupines. Uh, or a, a scurry of squirrels. Right? Or a murder of magpies. Uh, it's crazy stuff. Well, I, I kind of want to go there this morning, kind of get you thinking. Uh, how well do you think that a turn of turtles or a flamboyance of flamingos or a leap of leopards, could understand the blueprints to a skyscraper, right? Uh, what would a bask of crocodiles do with an encyclopedia? Think about it, right? Uh, what would a crash of rhinos do with a laptop? Uh, what would a cackle of hyenas do with the New York Times? Probably what a lot of us want to do. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, get off track so early in the series. Uh, what would a romp of otters do with the instructions for building a bookshelf? Probably the same thing as your average man. Uh, totally ignore them. 
and then need them later. But, you know, animals can only respond based upon what has been revealed to them by their creator. Right? That's why you don't see any squirrels sitting up in high-rises uh, running the show. Uh, that's why you don't see uh, your dog down at the local building site putting the siding on. It is impossible to communicate fully with an animal unless you can become one. And as human beings, we're totally different. God has designed us and fashioned us with such remarkable things. We have God-given intellect. We have creativity. We have rationalization. We have emotions. We have free will. And as a result, sometimes we start thinking that we are the ultimate authority on this earth. Now, we have everything figured out. And Romans 1 shows us very clearly that we, like the animals, are only dealing with what has been revealed to us. <laughs> we can no more fully understand God than an army of caterpillars can understand the Declaration of Independence. I threw a cough drop there. <laughs> Forgot my water bottle. I may need somebody to get me one. Just a second. She got it. He was about to go, but he's in the front. She's in the back. Thank you. <coughs> Just had this weird cough this week. I don't want you to miss this point, though. God, in his wisdom, has revealed to us exactly what we need to know to be at peace with him, to be in relationship with him. Jesus even became a human being so that we could have the right information and so that we could have the right understanding of God and his love and so that we could have the only sacrifice that's available for sin. Now, when you think about all of this, oh, thank you very much. Blessings to you. By the way, pray for our youth leaders as they're up at camp this week. It is going to be a rip-roaring time up there. And I'll be praying for them, especially on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So think about this. When human beings refuse to accept what's been revealed to us by God, we don't become smarter, okay? Uh, when we refuse to accept what's given, been given to us by God for us to do, we do not become smarter people. We may have lots of book learning. We may have degrees after our name, but we don't become smarter. We actually become fools. And it's interesting that God tells us that the fool is the one who has said in his heart that there is no God. So in this first seminar series, we're going to deal with two crucial things that God reveals to man. And what our responses to these revelations do to shape the paths of our lives. So we're going to get into some background here. Read a little Romans 1 as we get down to about verse 16. So we see it's uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. So Paul's writing the letter. Uh, it's concerning his son Jesus Christ, verse 3, uh, who is, verse 4, declared to be the son of God with power. Verse 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. So Paul's saying, this, my authority comes from God. He's writing at verse 7 to all that be in Rome. And he'd actually never been to Rome. He wants to be able to go and see these people that he's never met before. 
And then he gets down to verse number 14 and talks about how he is a debtor uh, to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, and how he's ready to preach the gospel. Now that gets us to verse 16, and this is where we really want to begin our focus today in verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now look at verse 17, and if you like to underline, there's some important words to underline. For therein, it's an important word, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So you see that word revealed, righteousness has been revealed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. All right, so let's think about this for just a second. There are only two paths to God that exist. There's only two. The first path is full obedience, complete perfection. And how many understand that is impossible? No one is perfect. No one uh, is without sin. No one makes mistakes. We're all unrighteous. No human being is able to reach the full glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all unable to save ourselves. And, and so that path doesn't work for anybody. The other path to God is by grace through faith. And grace can only be given and must be received. Now, now, people on the path to pagan, what we're dealing with these next four weeks, they refuse not one path, they refuse both paths. Okay? They know deep inside that they aren't good enough to get to God by their works. And they are ticked off that they can't just choose their own path to God. They're so upset. They just say, I believe I should be able to choose which path I want to go to God. Okay? That's this happened in the Tower of Babel. You know, fooey on God, we're going to make our own way to heaven. That's what happens with the pagan system. And it, what happens then is they also refuse to receive the saving grace that brings redemption and life change. People on the path to pagan... They seek to make an alternate path where there is none available. They don't want to be told how they have to approach God. In spite of the pseudo-intellectual arguments that they make, really it's just immature rebellion caused by pride. And we're going to see the stages of apostasy that are uh, prevalent in this in a couple of weeks. Today, though, we want to do with two basics. Two basics, that's it that God has revealed to all of the human race through his creation and through conscience. And uh, he hasn't revealed everything to us because he wouldn't, we wouldn't understand it anyway, right? Hey, I'll tell you, you can prove this. Go outside in your yard today and get the biggest book that you have in your library. Maybe it's an encyclopedia Maybe it's an unabridged dictionary. Maybe it's war and peace. I have no idea what it is. And sit under a tree 
and start reading that book to the birds. Okay? Now, how many understand that if somebody walks by while you're doing this, they're going to think you're maybe just a little out of it? Like, what are you doing? Just reading this to the birds so they'll understand. I think that the ants have a right to know about Russian literature. Now, I think that the ants should know about all these things. We know we can't do that yeah, because it can't be revealed to them. And God has not revealed everything to us because we wouldn't understand it anyway. We're limited. But he has clearly revealed what humans can know about God. Okay, it's been clearly revealed. And we're going to approach this in a different direction this morning. We're going to start at the end of the passage, and then we're going to move backward. And so stick with me through this. Now, the whole message today is one sentence. And we're going to break it up in four parts. Okay, so it's one sentence. Here's the first part of the sentence. Burying the truth. Burying the truth. Okay, let's check out the end of verse number 18. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that word hold comes from the Greek word kateko. And here's what it means. It means to hold back, restrain, or hinder. To hold back, restrain, or hinder. Okay? Uh, men who will not pursue God seek to hold down the truth. And they seek to hinder its influence on their lives. And there are a whole bunch of people who will become your enemy very quickly if you just tell them the truth. That's all you have to do. Tell them the truth, and they will be your enemy. That's how simple it is. Okay? Um, yeah, this is not something that just happens in modern times. It's been around since Cain, who didn't want to hear the truth about his self-absorbed attempt at religion. And these people come from every race and religion, every belief system. Paul said to the people at Colossae, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Right? Uh, Paul warned Timothy that when the word of God was clearly preached, people would not endure sound doctrine. Here's what he told them. He said, after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. You know, some people will do anything to run from the truth, to keep the truth from penetrating their hearts. Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so when God clearly reveals certain things to the human race, they do everything they can to hold them back from their hearts to the point of lunacy. There's nothing to see here. You can't know the truth. We can't know anything about God. We can't know if there's really a creator. They say all these crazy things so that they can get out of the circle of truth. All right? And I'm telling you, we're going to prove to you this morning, any elementary school child has already got it figured out. Uh, they know what conscience has been given to them by God. God made it simple for us to understand. And this pushback against God makes no sense. It is living in denial to obvious truth. 
And yet people do it all the time. Yeah, maybe because they're afraid to know the truth. Like if somebody didn't want to know about their cancer, or if somebody didn't want to know about their medical issue. Or maybe they're afraid, uh, like a kid who threw a baseball through the window, and he knows dad's headed home soon. Okay, it could be that kind of fear. Uh, or they're offended by the truth, like being told that you have an addiction. Uh, or like the silent treatment in a relationship, because authentic communication would tell how bad the relationship really is. And when people in the relationship do talk to each other, they just yell and scream. Okay, so they, they don't want to know the truth. They push back from the truth. They hold the truth down. Or it could be like not wanting to do a budget because it would tell you how bad your finances really are. And so if you just don't ever write it down, you never have to know. Uh, it could be like sinners who can't stand the thought of being accountable for what they've done. And it is no accident that Jesus called himself the rock of offense. He called himself the rock of offense. Truth is certainly offensive to the people who don't want to receive it. And so they bury the truth. They hold down the truth so it can expose their sinfulness. But look, yeah, you guys realize this. That doesn't change the truth. Right? You can hold it down. You can bury it. You can push away from it. Truth is unchanging. And restraining the truth doesn't change the truth. It just changes you to become harder and more unrighteous. And it pushes your heart further from God. So first part of our sentence here, burying the truth. Burying the truth brings God's wrath. Burying the truth brings God's wrath. Let's look at this again. This, this part of the message is just warn you up from. This is the longest section in the message, okay? And so I'm going to ask you to really stay totally focused for just a few minutes. Verse 18, again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, here's what this means. It does not mean that God wrote across the sky, murder is unrighteous. God didn't have to do that. God revealed from heaven into every human heart what unrighteousness is. And it's obvious to all people that there is unrighteousness on this earth. There's no way around it. Wrong is real. It is evident to everyone. Reason tells us this. The very fact of law tells us this. If there were no unrighteousness, we wouldn't need laws. Right? No laws. No speed limits. No statutes. If there were no unrighteousness, we would never feel like we've been wrong or wronged. We would never say things aren't fair. Unrighteousness refers to all crimes against God and all crimes against people. 
and it is clear to any thinking person that there is wrong on the earth. It's so evident, right? Now, in the animal world, it's a totally different thing, right? Now, we don't know what chipmunks say to each other, but pretty sure that when one chipmunk steals a peanut from the other chipmunk, it's not a battle of righteousness or unrighteousness. It's a battle of, I want the peanut, okay? Nobody goes before the judge. Nobody stands that says it was not fair. It's unrighteous. They don't have that capability, but God placed inside of every human being a literal conscience. And you can go to places where there are kids who are 9, 10 years old who have never learned one letter of any alphabet. They don't have any linguistic skills. They've never gone to school. And that kid knows right and wrong. He knows that there's right and he knows that there's wrong because every person has been given a conscience that reveals unrighteousness. We are aware there is a knowledge of good and evil in all of us. Now, God says even more than that, though. He says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We know that there's unrighteousness, but we also know that there's a God who hates unrighteousness. We know this. It's inside of us. And to any clear-thinking people, there is a knowledge that God the Creator is against unrighteousness. You know, some people are confused about this, and they think, uh, why is God so against wrong? In fact, when you get to the path to pagan, these are people who are upset that God's upset. Right? They're mad that God gets upset about wickedness because they think he's just out to spoil their fun. That's what they think God's for. You talk to most pagans who have pushed back against God, and they think that God, they'll call him the man upstairs, they'll call him whatever, and they think he's just out to spoil their fun. Or they'll say he's not real, or they can't know he's real. But in their hearts, every single one of them knows there's right and wrong, and they know that God hates wrong. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because God said it. Right? And that's kind of the easy way. God says it. I believe it. The old bumper sticker says that settles it. And yeah, that's a good bumper sticker, but really the bumper sticker should say this. God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If God said it, it's true. Okay? I mean, it's, it's how easy that is. It's kind of where I was going. I like that. All right. Some people, sorry, they're confused about God. And they call him names, and they deride him for being so pure. But God is like a good ruler. God's like a good father. God is opposed to all community crimes. God doesn't want anyone to experience the pain caused by sin. He wants good for everyone. And sin, unrighteousness, wickedness, whatever you want to call it, is what brings death. God doesn't bring death. Sin brings death. Romans 5 says it this way. Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, 
and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin is what causes death. But God is love. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we have an apparent dilemma here. Because humans accuse God of not being fair because of the presence of evil. Right? And you always get this question from pagans. How could a good God allow evil in the world? And when a tragedy happens, the pagans march and they hold up signs and they say, I'm so mad at God that he allowed this to happen. And yet in the same breath, they tell you they don't believe in God. Right? It's kind of like the people who say they don't believe in God always saying Jesus Christ as a curse word. Right? If I don't believe in nuclear physics, I don't use nuclear physics as a curse word. Oh, nuclear physics. I'm going to do that. Right? If I'm not going to eat Twinkies, when I hit my thumb, I don't say, Twinkie! Why do people cry those names out as a curse? Because their heart knows that there is a God who reveals his wrath against all unrighteousness. And they're mad about it. They're mad that God's mad. And they think that their wrath is more important than his. But it's not. And so they say, how could a good God allow evil? And they say with, with one word, if there were a God and he's all powerful, he could take away all unrighteousness and all death. Now that's true because we know that someday he will. Sin will not be present in heaven. Death will not be present in heaven. Pain will not be present in heaven. But remember this. Heaven is only prepared for those who have chosen God through Christ. And if God took away all unrighteousness now, he would also have to take away free will. And the human race would all be theistic robots without the ability to truly love and truly commit. They would be forced to follow God. Philip Yancey has a great book I often recommend called Where is God When It Hurts? Great book. And if you're going through any type of suffering, you should grab it on Amazon. It's incredible. It goes to the heart of this question of suffering and pain. Why does God allow hurt? And here's what we find. Pain and suffering aren't caused by God. Pain and suffering are caused by the very fact of unrighteousness on the earth. Unrighteousness leads to pain and suffering. I mentioned last Sunday to pray for the nine people who were stabbed in Boise the night before. And many of you have seen the news, and it's heartbreaking. The little girl who was having her own birthday party, three years old, was, was killed. And she was killed by a senseless act of violence. And God grieves over this. But God didn't choose this. That choice was made by a wicked 30-year-old criminal. And it is evident that God not only grieves at unrighteousness, he must show his wrath toward unrighteousness. Otherwise, he could not be holy. And he could not be good. 
What do we as citizens say about a sheriff who constantly looks the other way when people commit crimes? Do we say, boy, he's a good sheriff? No, we say he's a horrible sheriff because he's supposed to be the one who upholds justice. He's the one who's supposed to hate violence. He's the one who's supposed to be against crime. And we're mad because he's not a good sheriff. But when it comes to God, we want it both ways. We want God to be totally good. We just don't want him to be against our bad. That's how it is with us. We are fickle, horrible, deceitful creatures. And God can't look the other way when people sin or he wouldn't be God. And so the revealed wrath of God, God's disappointment with sin itself, is what brings mankind guilt. Do you remember that feeling you had when you were a kid and you did something wrong? And one of your parents was disappointed with you? That's called guilt. By the way, uh, Bailey Hunt has just made her entrance into church for the first time. She was just born this week, and she's already shouting amen. And I love that. Congratulations to Brandon and Anna for the second child, little girl. She's beautiful. You guys have to see her after church. You know, the people who can't stand to deal with sinful guilt are the ones who bury the truth. Adam and Eve hide from God in the Garden of Eden. And they sow themselves leaves to cover their nakedness. Cain hides his brother's murdered body in the ground. But no one can escape God's wrath toward unrighteousness, no matter how far they run, no matter how well they hide. And because of wrong, there is wrath. It is evident to everyone through reason and creation. The wages of sin must be paid. Doing wrong has consequences. We all know this. The wrath of God toward unrighteousness is one of the things that has been clearly revealed to the human race. And it's one of the things that we can know about God. And it's the bad news. But it is the news that so many people try to hold back and hide from. Now let's catch up on our sentence. You guys made it through the longest section. Hey, give yourselves a hand. You did great. All right, nobody gave themselves a hand. We lost the whole crowd. Here we go. Okay, here's where we're at in our sentence. Burying the truth brings God's wrath. But believing the gospel, but believing the gospel. Okay, we go back to verse 17. We're going backward. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when you see that word therein, you always have to look back to the wherein that the therein comes from. Right? You always have to, right? Because uh, the therein is like this pronoun. It's got to have an antecedent. You guys remember what an antecedent is? Okay. We won't get into that then. We'll let the English teachers work on that later. When you see that word therein, though, you got to look back. And in this case, the word therein comes from the word gospel in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the 
gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The gospel can only be enacted through faith. The gospel cannot just be a head belief. It has to be a full heart pursuit of its object. And the object has to be Jesus. Because you can have great faith, but if you believe in the wrong thing, you're doomed. You've got to believe in Jesus. That's the thing. Now, believing that God exists is important, but it's not saving faith. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And only by authentic faith can we please God and receive the power of salvation that verse 16 talks about. So to receive Christ, I have to accept the truth about my sinfulness. I have to accept the truth about my inability to save myself. Okay, uh, The ticket to eternal life is not just a, you know what? I really want God in my life, man. That sounds really good. But I have to admit where I'm at. I have to admit my unrighteousness. I have to admit my inability. I have to know that I can't save myself. And I have to accept the reality of what sin has done and is doing in me. I have to accept the responsibility for my sin. The gospel is good news, but it is a two-sided coin. If I bury the truth of unrighteousness, I can't really get the truth of good news. Jesus said that we have to realize we're blind before we can see. We have to realize we're sick before we can be healed. And if I won't receive God's revealed truth about wrath and unrighteousness, I can never experience his revealed truth about salvation and righteousness. Here's why. We are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And if we can't admit to that, we can't get to this final part of the sentence. Okay, so let's work where we're at. Here we go. Bearing the truth brings God's wrath. But believing the gospel brings God's righteousness. So bearing the truth brings God's wrath, but believing the gospel brings God's righteousness. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the only plan that works for getting to God. All other plans have failed. And I'm telling you, the gospel is incredible. Uh, God's treatment of a believer is miraculous. He takes a person who is obviously unrighteous and declares him righteous which means he treats him as innocent, as if the offense had never occurred in the first place. This God-proclaimed righteousness is also from faith to faith. That means it's started by faith and it's concluded by faith. The moment you trust Jesus, you are declared righteous for all eternity. 
Okay? Now, uh, the Bible term for that is called justification. You can study that on your own. Now, what we're saying is God declares you righteous. When he looks at you, he looks at you as if you have never committed any crime against him. It is a miracle, justification is, that God would look at you or look at me and say, he's righteous. But it's not because of me. It's because what we sang about this morning, the blood that Jesus shed for me. That's what brings justification. Only when we are covered by the pure, priceless, powerful blood of Jesus do we receive justification. And it can only be then when God looks down and says, that's my child. There's no guilt against him. Okay, there's justification. That happens the moment you trust Christ. But think about this. You're also saved, not, it's not just justification, you're also saved from the dominion of sin. You're saved from the habit of sin. You're saved to become more like Jesus every day. The Bible word for that is sanctification, to be set apart, uh, to become more like Christ. And that's a whole message on itself. But, but someday, those who believe will be fully like Jesus. We've already been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But someday, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3. And it gets gooder and gooder and gooder the further you go in the Christian life. Uh, from faith to faith. And, and when we become like Jesus, Peter calls that the end of salvation. And the Bible word for that is glorification. When we receive glorified bodies, when we become sinless in nature instead of sinful in fleshly nature. Glorification. And that's a sermon all on its own. But salvation is from faith to faith. It's from beginning to end. And the just shall live by faith. Now the just man is the man made right by God. The just man is the man made right in God's sight. And he's living a life by faith. Because he's been made righteous by God. Now, let's take a breath. I realize some of you may feel like you're swimming in the deep end of the pool today. Uh, we're, we're into this doctrinal message. And it, it doesn't get more doctrinal as we go. It gets more practical. And I think it's more understandable even. But look, before we can get to the nuts and bolts of the path that pagans take, we have to get this foundation of what God has revealed to man. And God has revealed righteousness, which only he can give, and he has revealed wrath, because he must bring on unrighteousness a wrath. Otherwise, he's not a righteous God. And that brings us to today's big truth. Okay, and, and this is powerful. This is important. This is something you should know. Anytime a person attempts to hinder the truth, he has entered the pagan's path. Anytime a person 
attempts to hinder the truth, he has entered the pagan's path. And this goes for anyone, anywhere, at any time. If I try to hold down God's truth, I have entered the pagan's path. I can be a churchgoer, I can be a law-abiding citizen, but the moment I discard God's truth as unsuitable and replace it with my own, I am becoming a pagan in lifestyle. And I'm going to prove to you over these next four weeks, I'm not going to mention any names or any churches, but I believe there are churches all across the world, and especially in America today, who are standing and preaching a pagan Christianity. Because it is a Christianity based on humanism that cannot accept the wrath of God. See, they want the good part, the gospel part, you're stamped, you got your ticket to heaven, but they don't want to preach unrighteousness. They don't want to preach wrath. They don't want to mention hell. They don't want to mention the lake of fire. And Jesus mentioned hell three times more than he mentioned heaven. Because you got to know about that before you know about that. And if we try to hold back the truth, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter if we went to the best seminaries. It doesn't matter if we learned the Bible from the best teachers. When we begin to try to take God's truth and tweak it and change it and put it back, we are teaching a brand of paganism. And it's basically a pagan religion under the subtitle of Christianity. And I'm, I'm so afraid that that's what's happening all across America. And we have to get back to the foundation of God's word. And we have to say this. If God said it's true, we can't leave it out. If God said it's true, we have to emphasize it. We can't change it. We can't divert from it. We can't hinder it. Pushing away from God's truth leads to separation from God. Now, next Sunday, we're going to go further into Romans 1. And it's, it's a really neat passage. We're going to look at the natural evidence for God's truth. And I hope you'll be here. Before we go, I want to give you the faith challenge today because this really is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we're at. And I, I want to sincerely ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been made righteous by the power of God through faith in Jesus? See, church attendance cannot make you righteous. It doesn't matter where you go to church, okay? It, it make, matters not where you go to church. Uh, good works, religious rituals cannot make you righteous. Baptism cannot make you righteous. Giving to charity cannot make you righteous, only the blood of Jesus can cover your sins. And friends, if you want to make peace with God, and you want to be declared righteous in his sight today, you first have to admit that you're unrighteous. You first have to admit that you got a problem. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And here's what's Incredible to me. A six or seven year old who goes to Sunday school every week comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to that exact truth. If they're faithful in Sunday school, about 100% of the time. 
by the time they're seven or eight years old. If they're faithful, if they're kept in that environment. And yet, there are adults who went to Sunday school a few times, or they went to camp, or they went to this and that, and they say things like, well, I used to go to church, but it just wasn't for me. You know what they missed, the whole thing? It wasn't about church in the first place. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And it's about the fact that God has revealed two things to the human race about him. One is, we have unrighteousness, which leads to his wrath. The other is, only he can make us righteous through his son. And if you've never been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you this morning as we finish up the service. Let's bow together.